Fantastic. Good morning. How are you guys? Things are a little rough up here for me, so yeah. You, none of you even said you were doing anything. That was not a rhetorical question. I was legitimately interested in how you were doing. How are you doing this morning? Seven people are okay. The rest of you are dead. I'm sorry. Sorry for the way the week is going. Uh, my name is Doug. They said that a familiar face. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was for me. I woke up and saw my face and thought, man, Lord, can you change that? I'd, <laughs> I'd like for that to look less familiar. Um, I, uh, I am so excited to be back here. For years and years and years, uh, I was able to come up and be a part of, uh, of North Point as it transitioned and then uh, as it became the North Point that we're used to now. And over the years, um, you guys have been such an incredible part of the ministry that God's given to us through Crossroads Farm. Whether you know that or not, you have been. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a Christmas offering. I don't know if it's an offering or if it's a suggestion or if some Somebody picks your pocket on the way out. I don't know how it works, but I know this, that uh, our family is a recipient of one of those Christmas gifts that you give to missionaries. And it is um, it is so important for us, uh, just in that it tells us that we're loved. And we were able to uh, fulfill a family tradition that really without you, we wouldn't have fulfilled. Um, so thank you. The Bahamas were great. Looking forward to going back. No, no. Oh, man, wouldn't that be horrible? <laughs> I want to talk to you today about uh, tomorrow, but before that happens, uh, what I'd like to do is just give you a quick update on the ministry. I don't know how many of you are part of our mailing list, uh, and I know that some of you are a part of our mailing list, but I don't assume that you read what's going on in our ministry. So since I have a captive audience, I'll just force feed you uh, the stuff that I think is important. Um, God has blessed our ministry. We've been around for over 20 years now. And when we launched, um, it was, uh, it was a flyer. I gotta be honest. When we started, we thought God was gonna do some amazing things. And he did. Um, and there were people praying. We know that because a lot of our friends said, when you left, we were sure that was the end of you. We were sure we would never see you again. And we were pretty sure God would give up on this, this idea, this concept of rural, uh, ministry. We've run Crossroads Farm for the last 20 years, going on 21 years, um, where we are invested in rural, remote areas around the Midwest predominantly. But um, God is expanding that ministry. And so what, we, uh, what we've seen is that hundreds and hundreds of teenagers in rural, remote areas are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting an opportunity to respond to that. I mentioned this the last time I was here. Uh, our Northwest campus, which is in Kalkaska, actually... It's in a small town south of Kalkaska called South Boardman. Don't blink, you missed it. Um, the only thing that you'll know about South Boardman is that there's a sign in a bowling alley. And uh, we own the bowling alley. Now it says Crossroads Farm. Um, that's pretty exciting. So people will drive by. More people see that Crossroads Farm than those who see our Crossroads Farm in South Central Michigan, uh, which is in Hillsdale County. Um, that's the flagship. But more people drive by that one. And it's been a little confusing. See, there's a strip club named Crossroads up in Kalkaska. And so uh, it's a true story. We... Uh, <laughs> 
We drove our bus, our crossroads bus, up for a trip just to see the bowling alley, and we stopped for lunch. And when my staff got off the bus, there were a lot of really disappointed gawkers who apparently were looking for something else getting off the bus. (laughs) They were probably thinking, they have buses? That's strange. Um, (laughs) God has just expanded and blessed our ministry beyond belief. And all I can tell you is just hang on. If you don't read what we send in terms of newsletters, please start. God is uh, is expanding the impact of our uh, mission, and it's been fun to watch God do it um, a lot of times in spite of who stands in front of you. Um, so Joe and Jerry are running uh, Crossroads Farm Northwest, and that is a fully functional Crossroads Farm. Uh, this is in their first year of ministry, and so they see somewhere between 50 and 80 students every week in the middle of a spiritual depressed community, where just 17% of the students in that community claim any religious adherence. 17%. That's pagan. In the meantime, uh, we are training a director for Harrison County, Ohio. That's the foothills of the Appalachians. Some of you know that already. And um, God is, is making us wait. We have the one director, the ministry director. We are praying earnestly for an administrative director. What we've learned is nobody can do it alone. There's a lot of detail. And generally, the guy who runs the games and does the talk for teenagers should not be the person who does the books. Just trust me on that. We've discovered that. Um, Actually, I discovered it. My wife discovered it. And uh, she said, you can never touch books again. So... We uh, we came up with a philosophy that uh, we needed to start with a team. We're praying for the second part of that team so that that community, Harrison County, Ohio, can experience the same thing that we're seeing in the other two communities where we've launched Crossroads Farm. In the meantime, God has opened doors across the country. Uh, I, I make fun of this. I say we get to travel all the time. And um, people say, oh, that's pretty neat. I say, well, it is. But every place we travel is exactly like the places we are, which is small, rural, and remote. I have eaten in more diners than any human being in the world. That's my claim to fame, because that's the only restaurant that actually exists in all of the communities uh, that we go to. We're in Imperial, Nebraska. Uh, we've been in uh, Wisconsin and, uh, and, and Colorado, but they're all the same kind of communities. And we go in, just recently we did a pastor's conference for somewhere around 85 rural pastors. The average attendance of those churches is somewhere around 25 to 50 people. And those pastors serve and preach and pray and minister to the needs of their community because without them, there is no voice. There's no Christianity. And so these pastors are critical. And we came as the people who said, well, we think we know how kids work in those communities. And it was astounding. There was one church, and I loved this story. Uh, they called themselves, I think, the Mighty Five. Was that it? The entire church attendance was five. And they thought, well, we might as well all be ministers. So they all attended the pastor's conference. And um, that's their mission. Their mission is to revolutionize their community for Jesus Christ as small as it is. I have a friend named Steve McVeigh, he ministers in a community of 27 people. Their church exploded to about 500. I don't, I don't know how that happens, actually, unless you count cows. But, um, but it did. And then he did something really unique. 
He realized that what they were doing is bleeding out small churches in the surrounding areas. And he said, that's not our mission. Our mission isn't to gut churches that are already ministering because we can somehow do it a little cooler. And so what they did is they spent the next year and a half training people in that congregation to go back to their churches and then sent them back. And what God has done is he's continued to grow his church, but uh, the churches around the area have expanded and grown and they're seeing fruit. It's an incredible revitalization story. In fact, uh, I'll just share this with you. God's called us to go into some really cool places. Um, uh, I think in the next couple weeks, I've been invited to uh, participate in a rural ministry think tank at Wheaton, um, which just tells you how shallow that tank must be if I get invited to think there. Um, but it's going to be pretty exciting for us because uh, this has been a, a group, uh, Rural Matters Institute out of Wheaton, the Billy Graham Center. And uh, when we get together, we talk about how we can move back into rural communities and take those communities, those townships, those those regions for Christ. It's been an exciting time for us. The reason I told all of that uh, to you is just this. We need for you to be in prayer. We did some simple math. Our staff continues to grow, but we're understaffed. Northwest will need replacements for their directorships. South Central currently needs directors for their for their uh, ministry. It's youth ministry. Dawn and I are doing it. When we get done here, we'll rush back down. We have people working there, but we're still doing hands-on youth ministry. And then we're traveling, and we're traveling, and we're traveling, and we're speaking, and we're writing. As a matter of fact, we just finished our four-year curriculum of uh, rural youth ministry training for volunteers and professional staff. It's called the mind, uh, excuse me, the arms of a servant leader. I just finished the mind. And so that four-year curriculum is being distributed. And we're just thrilled because it means I don't have to write it again. My wife said, when you finally put this in a book where you can't go back and edit it, it will be a happy day in this home. And uh, it is. I I wanted you guys to understand how important you are, not just in my life, my wife's life, our, our kids' lives. But I want for you to appreciate how important this church is in the lives of churches across rural America. See, without you, without the movement of God's body, without the movement of churches like this, we cannot reclaim America's heartland. It's a lost cause. They don't have the resources, they don't have the people groups, they don't have the leadership. And so for you to help us, to help us project our voice, we are actually your voice into rural communities and God is doing a new thing. One of my friends who is a denominational leader for the Vineyard Movement just said this, he said, God started doing something really unique two years ago. And I said, yeah, it was two years ago. And he said, I don't know what it is, but there is a stirring in rural America that I've never seen before. God's awakening the heartland. Can you please pray for that with us? We need it. You need it. We're the body of Christ, and we can't afford to have one limb or or one organ non-functioning. And so as we pray together, God will do amazing things. Uh, I'm excited about all of that. I, I I think that those are the things that are coming up in the future. I um, get to talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow matters. It's clever. It's a wordplay. I came up with a different title for it. It's Tomorrow is Never Satisfied. Don't read Ecclesiastes. 
And the reason I came up with that title is, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, don't raise your hand if you have or haven't, because that might be embarrassing. But if you've ever read that, it's it's written by one of the wisest men ever to walk the planet. At, at the end of the book, he kind of says, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Might as well serve God. And I feel like it's a little fatalistic. That's like, well, that's not going to work out, so... Might as well trust God, because it all ends up in a burning pile of rubbish. And I think, wow, the wisest man said that. That's fantastic. That's how I feel. I just don't dare say it out loud. We're obsessed with time. And now we carry time with us everywhere. We're in communication all the time. We're always looking at our phones to see what time it is. If I meet you, I say, so what are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow? What are your plans for next week? I'm obsessed with your time and my time. It's okay for me to be a couple minutes late, but not too late. It's called fashionably late. If I'm a couple minutes late, I don't know why it's fashionable. If I'm too early, though, that is definitely rude. Have you ever been getting ready for somebody, and it's 45 minutes early, and they show up, and they want to help, and all you've got left is a shower? That is inappropriate. I mean, I realize this, that there is this time vortex going on. I don't get it. I used to be terrible with time. And that's a, that's a really good way of saying I used to be really self-absorbed and selfish. I didn't really care about how my time affected you. I didn't care how my plans affected you. I was about me. But the older I got, the wiser I got, the more I walked with Christ, I started to realize that no time is mine. I don't own this minute. I don't own the next moment. I don't own tomorrow. I am certainly not entitled to any of the results. It changes the way you think about time if you're not sure what happens next. I'll tell you, there's a really interesting thing. When we uh, do this little dance with time, a lot of times we sacrifice everything today for the sake of tomorrow. Have you done that? I I don't want to say that this happens to anybody I know. But occasionally, if there's a vacation going on with somebody I know, we find that the two days prior to vacation are terrible because everything has to be done so that we can leave and be happy. So the two days before are pretty much misery because everything has to happen. And trust me, we have big animals. You can't just leave them in the house. By big, I mean cows. Uh, you can't leave them in the house. You have to find somebody who takes care of them. And surprisingly, that's not a popular job. It's just not. You, you, you can't find somebody to look after your horse. You can't find somebody to watch your goats. You can't find people who love taking care of your animals. You can't find people who like getting your mail. You can't. It's a lot of stuff. We just got back from a trip. Um, we were in the UP. And so to go to the UP where there is absolutely zero cell phone connection, I had to do things five days early so I could not do them for the five days that I was gone. All the emails, the outlines, everything that I was going to do for the next five days, I had to do it in advance. And I found I was so busy that by the time I got to vacation, I was a little bit stressed. Now, it wasn't really a vacation. You see, um, we tricked my daughter. My middle daughter uh, thought that we were going up north to her favorite place, which is Pyatt Lake, to celebrate her graduation from college. She just graduated uh, in two and a half years. She got her bachelor's degree in two and a half years. She's an underachiever. 
<laughs> it was a four. She graduated with a 4.0. And I thought, holy smokes, whose genes did this kid get? <laughs> Obviously Dawn's. <laughs> and uh, so we went up north because there was a story there. See, she's been dating a young man, and he said, I've always wanted to propose to her in her favorite spot in the world. Now, you can't text this, and you can't put it on Facebook, so I'm telling you a secret. I've had to hold it for two months. You can hold it for a couple days. And so we got up there, and we spent two days, and we had to time this perfectly because there's three feet of snow, and her favorite place is off of the lake on a little lake way back in the woods called Perch Lake, and it's her favorite place. There are hemlock trees and little hollows, and so my wife and my daughter took a hike in snowshoes, because the snow is three feet deep, back to Perch Lake. The reason they did that is because there was no way for my daughter's boyfriend to find the lake unless there was a trail. I was seriously concerned that this would work out. (laughs) They hiked back in, they hiked back out, they came home, we ate dinner, we had a good night. The next day, my wife was obsessed about going back to Perch Lake. That's not because she really wanted to go. They met Luke up on the road. (laughs) Reagan saw Luke coming towards her and she said, Luke's here. (laughs) And then turned to her mom and said, I feel a little bit sick. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good good sign or a bad sign. What it means is this, that Luke proposed to Reagan uh, this week. So I have a daughter who is engaged to be married. That's the first for me. It's, it's exciting. I know. He's a wonderful, wonderful young man. In fact, he is uh, studying to become the director of Harrison County, Ohio. I, I wish I had more daughters. It's a really great recruiting tool. <laughs> He told me this, and I'll share this, this is all family stuff, but he told me this. He said, I came into your house and I saw the picture of your daughters, and they're they're all drop-dead gorgeous. And he said, and I met the other two, the bookend blondes, the tall ones, and he said, I was looking at the picture and I was thinking to myself, when does that one come home? (laughs) It was love at first sight for him. It took some convincing for her. And uh, God worked through all of it, and now they're engaged. All those plans, all the plans, I mean, you think about how many things could go wrong, right? We're obsessed with how it's going to work out. And somehow it does. It does, trust me. No matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter how it looks like the plans are out, no matter how it looks like your life has come off the rails, I want you to hear something at the very onset of this message. That God has a plan for your life and he hasn't abandoned it because it feels out of control. God has not left you alone to your own devices, but instead God will maintain his tool, which is time, because he owns it. He controls it. He understands it. He not only understands it, but he knows how much time you have. He knows the best way to spend the next minute that you have. He understands how to spend the next week and the next day. The hardest thing for me to communicate to teenagers is this, that the next hour is important, not because of what you get from it tomorrow, but because it is important in and of itself. 
My response in a heated discussion is important right now, not because it's somehow making me a more, I don't know, sympathetic or generous or compassionate person tomorrow, but because right now I'm reflecting the image of Christ, and Christ is at work in me right now. Right now. That's why we go to church. Because right now Christ is at work in us. This very minute, Christ is at work doing His thing in our spirits. Praise God. Or did I scare any of you? (laughs) That little dance we do. Tomorrow's shrouded in mystery. I always say, you know, I hope tomorrow will work out. It always does. Because it's God's. Not mine. It's His tapestry, not mine. It's really His glory, not mine. And so it will work out, and it does work out. But I have to get on board somehow. I I was thinking about it, um, this concept of time, and so I wanted to give you a a couple of phrases, and then I'll open God's Word. See, I believe this. We are attached to the concept that, that, that that hope is the positive product of the future. That somehow hope comes tomorrow. That I get hope tomorrow. That's the product of a life well lived. And I'll tell you, that's not true. There's there's no hope tomorrow that doesn't exist today. It's a misplaced hope and focus. If I say tomorrow, I'll have hope. It'll get better tomorrow. That's a misplaced focus. My focus is on God who controls tomorrow, today. And I place my focus on him. I was uh, just processing this. So how do you not worry about tomorrow? Because I'm not just telling you, don't worry, be happy. What I'm telling you is this, that there is an opposite to God's attitude about time, and it's worry. The exact opposite to the way God processes today and tomorrow, this minute and the next minute, is worry. And most of us have a philosophy about worry. What we say is that I can avoid worrying about tomorrow if I worry today. I'll worry about it today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, there's a passage, and I'll start in verse 27, because I think it's one of the most profound statements Jesus makes. In fact, this is really interesting. I thought there would be all kinds of things Jesus said about time philosophically, but he doesn't. In fact, Jesus only talks about the philosophy of, the philosophy of time one time in the New Testament, and it's this passage right here in Matthew. Any other time that he refers to time, he's referring to it as a day. So today, we're going to do this. Tomorrow, he doesn't talk about in terms of doing it. He says things like, you won't know. But this is the only time where he talks about a philosophy of time. And here's what he says. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In fact, doctors have told us that it actually will decrease your lifestyle if you do become anxious about tomorrow. You'll develop ulcers. You'll develop all kinds of disorders. You won't be able to sleep, and that reduces life. The truth is, by worrying about something, I actually am reducing my lifespan. Who can add a single hour to his span of life? I'm a chronic worrier. I am. This is a confession. When I have to go somewhere, I don't sleep. When I have to do something, I worry about it. 
if I'm speaking or I run down details like nobody's business and I do it over and over and over again. My wife will tell you it is ridiculous sometimes. I'll say, so what are we doing? And she'll say, I just told you what we're doing. I said, yeah, but maybe it changed. She said, since breakfast, it's 10. Like, yeah, but so much has happened. And why are you anxious about clothes? Now, this, I love this passage because it just takes it to the little things that we all worry about. <laughs> because today, some of us worried about this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith person? Listen, let's just talk about it. He's he's only using an illustration. He says, okay, what's the stupidest thing to worry about? Well, what you're wearing. That's really dumb. It's, It's wasted thought. How many of you, honestly, have ever worried about what you were wearing? How many of you did it today? I did it today because I couldn't remember if I packed enough underwear. That was That's just true. <laughs> it's just true. Sometimes I'll pack for these trips, and my wife will again tell you. You can ask her anything. She'll tell you, my husband packs more clothes than anybody I know. We're going up north. He's going to wear one pair of sweats the entire time. And yet... He has everything packed in there. She actually counted and said, you have four pair of sweats. We're here for three days. What are you planning on doing? You're not working out. (laughs) The truth is we worry about things. We worry about our hair. We worry about our makeup. We worry about our kids when we have no control. My children travel all over the place. Now I have a daughter, Reagan, the one who just, was just engaged, and she's traveling to Argentina. And that's in a bunch of weeks. And I'll tell you, I've already started worrying about it. And the reason I worry about it is because I'm not that guy from the movie Taken. I do not have a particular set of skills. <laughs> my, my kids actually forbid me from watching that movie if they're traveling anywhere. Like, Dad, we're going just to Grandma's. It's right down the street. We'll call when we get there. Can we borrow your car? It's safer. All right. You take the little things that we worry, they plague us. Little things. They build up. My health, it plagues me. If you're worried about your health, it doesn't increase your health. If you're worried about your children, it doesn't increase your your children's capabilities or lifestyles. If you're worried about your spouse, it doesn't help your marriage. Worry does nothing. And yet, in spite of that, we worry about what's going to happen instead of drinking of the time that we have before God right now. I wonder how many of us have destroyed the moment by worrying about what could happen. And Jesus, the person who lived the most in the moment, because, don't miss this, because he was God. 
Because there was no moment that would come as a surprise. There was nothing he couldn't control. There was no situation that he wasn't well aware of before it happened. I want you to hear this. Jesus didn't worry because he was God. Jesus, the same one who prayed, Lord, your spirit invade my children. Live in them. The same spirit. Haheros. The same God lives in you. God lives in you. Why worry? Because the God who wasn't worried about tomorrow because he was God is the God who isn't worried about tomorrow because he's God. He's the God who doesn't worry about tomorrow because he's God. Are we believers or are we doubters? See, now, I don't want you to think that somehow I'm, I'm uh, teaching the hippie gospel here. And if any of you are hippies, I apologize for that remark. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. I don't want you to say somehow that I'm telling you don't, don't plan for tomorrow. Don't, don't make decisions based on wisdom. We get in trouble that way. We do have to make plans. We, we do have to do some things. We do those in accordance with God's will and God's best. We come before a holy God and we say, Lord, you know the future. Lay those things out in front of me. I've talked to so many people as we get a chance to speak and they say, can I tell you my story about how God orchestrated the details of my life? It's mind-blowing how intricately involved God is with the minute-by-minute details of our lives. Even the moments that are failures. He gets it. He's there. In fact, he's the Savior God. He's the redeeming God. I love that he redeems the day. Redemption only happens when something has to be bought and paid for. So I want to give you just a couple of principles after I read these verses. Listen to what he says. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.40, he says, Keep his decrees and his commands, which I'm giving to you today, so that it will go well with your children after you, and that you may live long in the land of the Lord that God gives you for all time. Keep his decrees and commands. Now, I want you to understand something. That's not a promise that if you keep his commands, your kids will also keep his commands. It doesn't mean that everything in an earthly perspective works out because you're checking the boxes. But I'll tell you this much. As we obey Christ, as we mirror Christ, as we live out what Christ looks like in our lives, our children have a picture of what that looks like. And it's an easier picture to follow than the words that we speak. If if we're wise in terms of money... There, there's a pattern. Now, listen, I realize there are depressions and there are recessions and there are things that go wrong with money. I'm not telling you if you invest today, God will bless tomorrow. Uh, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that God, in His order, that God, knowing that there is order, has established certain patterns that seem to bear the best possible results, even when everything else is going crazy. And I want you to hear something incredible about God's plan. Even though the world may go to hell in a handbasket, God still is in control. 
And we as believers didn't need any of that stuff anyway because when he comes to take us home, we don't take it with us. I think some of us ought to just get used to enjoying what we don't have. I mean, think about it. Have you ever looked at stuff and, and thought, man, I am glad I don't have that? We've got this little tiny cottage. <laughs> this little tiny cottage. It is a real gift. Some of you are saying, I wish I had a little tiny cottage. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's nice. But, uh, but I'll tell you, it's a little tiny cottage. We have people who build these mansions, and I think, I am glad I don't have to mow the lawn. I am glad I don't have to take care of a mansion on a lake. I mean, we're in the UP. The weather is not kind. I keep his decrees and his commands. He's given them today. I love that the, the, the concept of obeying commands is not tomorrow, but today. And here's the problem. We go to church on Sunday, and we make our plans for obeying on Monday. I sit in church and God moves my spirit and I'm like, boy, I got to do something about that tomorrow. Tomorrow is not magic. Today is when God's asking. I, I, I wonder, you know, what would happen if we ever called somebody on a Sunday right after church and said, man, I just went to church and God moved me and I couldn't wait till Monday, so I called you today. That, that person might say, I need to go to that church. God's never spoken to me about Sunday. He talks to me about the other days. Listen to this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you serve. In other words, decide one way or the other today. While it's still today, decide. While it's still today, decide. Look, if you don't want to serve God today, then, then just make a decision and follow somebody else. Our problem is we're so wishy-washy because tomorrow is the day that we want God to be in, but not today. This minute is not the minute that I want God to rule in. I want him to rule in the next minute. I want him to have the results of this botched minute tomorrow so he can fix it. That's not what God commands. I love this in James chapter 4, verse 13 and 15. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go out and we'll do this in the city and we'll spend a year there, we'll carry business, we'll make our money. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I love this concept that God holds the future. Just listen to this for a second. That God holds our future. And so I say, hey, if it's God's will, how many of you have ever said that, but you really earnestly believe that that's kind of a monkey's paw? You kind of look at it and you're like, well, if the Lord wills it, I'm hoping. I mean, I remember praying prayers like that all through my life. Lord, if you don't mess this up too bad, I guess it'll be okay to serve you. I love the concept that we are at the mercy of God's will. Think about those words. When has mercy ever been a bad word? When has God's will ever been a bad sentence? But we treat it because we want to be in charge. So we say, well, I guess my life is at the mercy of God's will. When do we say it? When we're sick and we don't have control. When our marriage is spiraling out of control. When our kids are acting like our spouse. When, when, 
When, when we're struggling financially, when we can't get our car to start, when our boss has told us that we're no longer employed, we say, well, I guess I'm in the mercy of God's will because life's coming apart. I want you to hear this. There is no place that we want to be but in the mercy of God's will because He knows us perfectly and He holds our futures and He knows this moment and He has a plan. Not for tomorrow, but for right now. Maybe for some of you, that's to turn to your wife and say, sorry about the argument this morning. We won't look. (laughs) Here are four quick principles. Number one, today for tomorrow, today for tomorrow, it's not an even trade. I don't trade what I have today for what I will have tomorrow. That's a gamble. In fact, I I can have expectations for tomorrow, but I'm not entitled to it. I can have expectations for my children's lives, but I'm not entitled to it. I can have expectations for how God will use a gift, but I'm not entitled to it. I can have expectations for how my health will be, but I'm not entitled to it. Because there are some of us that will have to walk through deep water because there may be a nurse that needs to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know a man who every time he goes to the hospital, he is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he believes that God has ordained the sickness that he is suffering so that he can be a person who brings the good news. Oh, that I was that godly. Instead, I'm entitled. Look, i got to be honest. Working out doesn't even work for me. I work out and still I'm fat. It's embarrassing. I'm layering parkas so people can't see what I look like. We played basketball the other day, and we were shirts and skins, and I was on the skins team. It was at the college. I actually went into the workout room and apologized to all the young college students. I'm sorry you had to see that. that the basketball wasn't bad, but boy, it was ugly. There's a difference between an expectation and an entitlement. I'm at the mercy of God's will, number two. I'm at the mercy of God's will. The mercy of God's will just means this, that every moment is in his mercy. Every moment he spares me from what I really deserve. Every moment the sins that I commit are immersed in his blood. The thoughts that I have are protected by the cross. My plans that are so foolish and so selfish are given over to a God who somehow takes my filthy rags and turns it into righteousness. I'm at the mercy of God's will. Number three, there's tension. When I'm planning for tomorrow, I have to be wise. I want to be a steward. I sat at a board meeting, a church board meeting, a number of years ago where they were talking about uh, how they were doing financially. They were sitting on a reserve of cash, but their pastor was uh, was actually struggling to make his bills uh, work. 
uh, he wanted to go to, uh, um, wanted to go away so that he could spend some time in study. But the board said that he couldn't because that should come out of his already small salary. They were sitting on money they considered emergency money. But they weren't taking care of the people who needed the money now. We protect the things we truly love. We hoard it. We put it in glass cases. We don't use it. When I think about the tension, I realize that there is a tension. There's a tension between giving it all away too fast and not giving it away at all. There's a tension between not trusting God and, and, and just believing that it all works out. It all works out in accordance to his will. I was thinking about the interesting tension that faith has. Here it is. The more unsure the walk, the closer the person I walk with becomes. B. Faith is not a process that leads to self-reliance. I need to say that again, because that's what I used to think. The more faith I exhibited, the less faith I would need. I'm going to tell you that our experience at Crossroads Farm has been simple. The more faith I exhibit, the more faith God requires. And the bigger the thing, the more I need him. The objective is not to become self-reliant and self-sufficient. The objective is to become totally dependent. And then third, faith is a walk that just demands greater faith. I'll, I'll end by saying this. Today doesn't determine tomorrow. God does. And as I read what Jesus said over and over and over again, he comes to the end of that section of the sermon. And we know the verse at the end. He says, don't worry about your clothes. Look at the way the grass, the grass is beautiful. Look at grass. How important is grass? We don't even worry about it. Why worry about what you're wearing instead? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. All these other worries will be added to you. In other words, all the things that you worry about, they become insignificant in light of walking with Christ. And if I can preach anything to you today, it's this. That my walk with Christ today is the most important thing I can do bar none. My prayer life, my knowing Christ, my becoming like Christ. I immerse myself in Christ. I wake up with Christ on my mind. I go to bed with Christ on my mind. Because tomorrow, according to scripture, will bring its own worries. But God's there already. I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're in a period of worry or if you're in a great period of, of excitement. Maybe good things are happening. Maybe tough things are happening. But I want to challenge you with three questions. Number one, it's not rhetorical. Do you trust him? 
right now as you're sitting here, I'm asking that question on behalf of your Father who loves you and only gives good gifts, regardless of how it feels or how it seems, do you trust him? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see tomorrow. Number two, are your plans designed around bringing you comfort or him glory? Because the desire of the believer is that everything we do in difficulty and struggle, that it brings him glory, not me comfort, because this is grass. This life is temporary. The older I get, the more I realize none of this really lasts. But my spirit reaches to heaven. The third question is this. Would you consider your faith to be abundant? Because God desires that. And if your faith is not abundant, then you are not living in the power of God's now. And that's not just jargon. I lay myself ahead of his feet and I ask that he uses every single minute. This minute. Can you bow your heads?